OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. All right. So welcome, everybody. Today, we are at Ask an Angel, and we are with Juan. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we're right into it already. We record, we just go right at it. So uh, welcome. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us uh, and be part of uh, our part, our podcast. And, uh, you know, at OPN and during all the things that we like to do to help early stage companies, we like to find great people that also have the same passion and help to move early stage companies through uh, onto their series A and what, so wherever they're going, we love that. And uh, Juan, you're a big player in that market, and we're glad that we got to touch base. So maybe to start off, you can give us a little bit of a background of yourself, where you've come from, uh, maybe functionally, business, all that great stuff, where you've been, where you're going, and, and uh, what the future looks like. And one thing about you that nobody will know. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Jeffrey, for uh, your invitation uh, to participate. Uh, since our very first conversation, I really fell in love with what you do at OPN. And uh, of course, the podcast is a huge element of what you do because I know uh, your passion is also, also to teach uh, your knowledge and, and share everything you've learned over the years. So as you said, my name is Juan Gonzalez. I am born and raised in Colombia. I am from the southwestern part of Colombia where it is 35 degrees every day of the year. Every day of the year is 6 a.m. the sun comes up and 6 p.m. the sun goes down. But for some reason, in 2008, I decided to immigrate to Canada, uh, thanks to an opportunity to, uh, to work here. And, uh, you know, a lot of things happened. I come from a, from a big family, uh, and uh, my father was in the banking industry his whole life. One day, he decided that he wanted to fund the family office to start investing. Uh, then one day, he came to Canada. Maybe something almost nobody knows is that he pretty much locked me in a room uh, in, at Blue Mountain in, uh, in Northern Ontario, uh, Collingwood. And uh, with a, a jar of sangria, we had the conversation and we had the dream of what we wanted to do here in Canada. We started uh, in 2017. Uh, we founded Trinity Capital International here in Canada, but the family group and the family office has been active in Colombia since 2005. It's amazing. Yes. One thing about yes. you that we won't know. Uh, well, I, won't. I, I have a very, very open uh, book kind of life. Uh, I went to school for economics. Uh, I met my wife in university and something maybe only her and I know is that we used to hate each other uh, <laughs> when we were back in university. And then this crazy guy just shows up with an offer to not only leave Colombia, get married, everything when we were very, very young. Uh, today, we're still together. We have a family. We've raised a family uh, here in Canada. We're both now proud Canadians. We're also part of the Canadian community. We like to participate in community events and give back and do all kinds of things. Oh, that's amazing. Well, congratulations yeah. on all of that, because that all sounds amazing. Thank you very much, Jeff. So one of the things that... Uh, uh, always kind of interests me is that when you went through uh, a process to immigrate into Canada, but that you decided that you wanted to create a family office and, and start investing in early stage companies. What, what 
kind of, what was the catalyst to all of that? You've said your father kind of played a big part, but what drove you to saying, you know what, I really like this space. I want to dive into it more. Is there a, a background that you really drove from? Uh, what was the, what was the driver force to get in behind what you're doing? Yes. So when I immigrated to Canada, I worked for a Dutch company, a technology company for a specific industry. And I fell in love with the, with the tech world. Uh, the problem that I had was I was in charge of all the, all the accounts in Latin America. So my business knowledge of Canada per se was very low. When we decided to start the family office here in Canada, I knew about the potential of the startup world in Canada and we wanted to diversify. In Colombia, we're very involved in very traditional businesses, uh, real estate, uh, uh, metallurgical costs or mining, uh, manufacturing, packaging, logistics, so very traditional sectors. And we wanted to diversify our portfolio by going into the tech startup world. Uh, also, it was a dream of mine to help my family business to become now a multinational uh, family business. So a lot of things came together. And uh, that's when we decided that we wanted to go. First of all, that I will drop everything and leave my job and jump into the family business. That was uh, a dream to work with my father, of course but also to go into a space that was sort of unknown uh, uh, for us. And we've been relatively successful and uh, I will say very successful, but, uh, and, and we've had a lot of fun in this, in this space. Oh, that's awesome. Can, you, can we kind of share a bit more of what that success looks for you? Because I think there's a lot of today and age in the, in the world of, of tech and big tech um, and investment, it's kind of a lot of people are saying, hey, I want to invest in tech. And there's this real big interest in it. And I don't think people really understand the risk side of it and what it takes to be um, being able to, to invest in early stage companies, but also what the legwork is and what you need to do to get in front of deal flow. So there's a lot of components that get built into that. Maybe you can share a little bit about how you started and, and where you've kind of moved your way through to today. Absolutely. So I think... Nowadays, with this whole viral situation and a global pandemic, success can be measured in, you know, if you're, the companies in your portfolio have navigated this crisis and, and they're on the other side. And for that, we have to be very, very thankful because thankfully all, our, all the companies where we're involved, they are in a healthy place at the moment. Uh, it takes a lot of work to find good deals. Uh, you know, every, everybody at some point in their life has a really good idea that doesn't mean that they're gonna have a really good business. So, you know, when, when we first started, the, the very first step we took was to try to join uh, people that were like-minded, uh, that were investing in the tech world. And we went to the angel networks pretty, pretty quickly because we thought, okay, you know, they get the deals and, uh, and we're gonna be exposed to what a presentation looks like, what a pitch deck looks like, sort of the structure. At the same time, I went to Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania and I took the program on venture capital. So that simultaneous step also helped me a lot to understand the space at a global stage and also the opportunities. So that exposure and a lot of networking allowed us to have a healthy flow of deals, not only through the angel networks now, but through funds, through you know, private equity firms, consultants, accountants, you name it. I think there is a, a lot, of, and you mentioned it, there is a lot of legwork 
that has to be done uh, to find good deals uh, to invest in. And then be very disciplined. Uh, we decided to build a mandate very quickly in the process. We built our uh, investment criteria or thesis, and we've tried as much as possible to stay within the limits of that mandate. Uh, of course, there's a level of flexibility, but you know that investor discipline that you know you like a vehicle or you like a stage of a business and you try to stick to it. I think that that helps you a lot to to be successful. And I can totally 100% see and hear where you're coming from, and I, I love it. I, I like what you've done is that you, you've taken um, a really good pro programmatic approach to it. It's that you just didn't come in and say, hey, everybody, I'm an investor, here's my money. You, you took a, a learning curve to it, so you went through and, and learned and took a, um, a course on it, uh, a program, if you will, to learn, and that program is very um, highly sought after because it does everything from the financial side, the breakdown, uh, how to invest, everything. I've read up on it many times of looking at just doing it just so I could meet other people in the space that were interested. Um, I have a, a colleague that went through for the same thing because uh, there's a couple of programs. There's one in San Francisco. Uh, there's a couple of ones that are really well sought after, I guess. And um, I have considered it, but timing, I have not been able to get there. But I still love what you've done there. Um, and then you joined all these different angel groups. So you started to figure out uh, what is the deal flow they're getting and what, what can I jump into? And does that bring enough value to me? And I think where the similarities are, similarities are between both of our um, roles, if you will, is that we took, I took 20 years of working with startups, didn't even know why I was doing it, and then compound those into, hey, I can make this into a business. I see a huge opportunity here. Um, it may not be a, a, a money maker, but man, I could get to invest in a lot of great companies, especially if I understand the space and you coming in from a different approach was, Hey, I'm going to come in there. I know there's an opportunity here. Can we use, um, family money, but learn what the industry is looking for and then figure out how we can plug that hole. And I think that that's a, a brilliant approach. And I love that you educated yourself, got yourself around the people that were doing it. And then from there, you start to build your own direction. Yes. Um, and where do we really want to go? What have we learned? What do we see that failed? What do we see that's going to work better? But it's a long-term plan. So how have you guys structured that? You said you started this back in 2017. Before that, you were already looking at it and making investments in other areas, maybe not in Canada. But how has that long-term plan shifted for you guys? How have you looked at it now? Is this you know, family office, we're going to be here for a long time, so we've got to, we've got to be strategic, refine our investments, um, or how have you kind of looked at it from that perspective? I think the future, you know, 2020 was supposed to be the year when we were going to double our portfolio. And that was the original plan. So back in 2019, when we looked at 2020, we said, you know, we are at this number of, of investments. We want to double the portfolio uh, or double the amount of cash deployed. Uh, and that, of course, didn't happen. Uh, we, between March and June, we were sort of hiding uh, under the sand, like pretty much everybody else. Uh, so for, for 2021, we've been working on a plan to be even more aggressive. So we want to get involved in bigger transactions. Uh, and we've even thought about going the route of uh, acquiring a business or multiple businesses uh, in, in, in a sector uh, that we have some expertise or that we feel that we can add value. Uh, in Colombia, uh, you know, the, the investing has been very tradition, traditional always. 
Uh, we had no idea about mining. If you ask me five years ago, we thought that coal was for barbecues. And, uh, and today my family owns a, a large operation, uh, a mining operation in Colombia. And I think they are authorities when it comes to metallurgical coal in the country. We, we think that there is a set of principles that you can apply to pretty much any business and make it work. Uh, I am the son of a banker and there is nothing more corporate uh, and more structured than a bank. So we operate like pretty much any business is sort of a bank in terms of governance, reporting, uh, transparency, responsibility, avoiding silo companies, applying new technologies, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to bring those, uh, that way of thinking uh, and our mindset into the Canadian ecosystem. For us, uh, 2021 should be a very important year. We don't know exactly which route we're going to take because it really depends on the opportunities that we're going to be presented with. Uh, we are already building that pipeline to, to see what we're going to work on. So it's either we're going to double our portfolio of tech startups companies uh, or we're going to go the route of, of a potential acquisition or maybe a little bit of both. Who knows? But uh, definitely our 2021 looks like a, a challenging but fun year. I like it. So in that process that you guys are building out your plans and directions and where you want to go um, and going either M&A or going to keep investing in, in the tech startup side of things, is there a mandate around the things that you're looking for? Are you, do you dive into and say, you know what, if we're going to acquire a company, you mentioned it before, it's got to fit in your background. If you're going to invest in a company, is there a certain structure? You said you have a box that you kind of stay in. So is that fintech is it what's the areas that you really try to hone in on um and again does it follow back onto your back experience coincidentally we've been investing more and more in the fintech space not for any particular reason more than just that the opportunities that came to us in those spaces were attractive enough that fintech and also health technology uh, now we're not close to any space, there are a number of spaces where we, we think we cannot add as much value. If you think about, for example, the restaurant industry or uh, food service, maybe hospitality, those are not spaces where we have a lot of expertise, uh, but everything else we're extremely open. Uh, for an M&A play, what we do know is we don't want to turn around. We don't want to have a business that is in financial distress or going down and we have to save the business. We would rather use in our favor a situation that is happening currently, not only in Ontario, but in Canada in general. And there's two things, you know, an aging population of uh, founders of the past, uh, the baby boomers, and many of them don't have a succession plan. And that lack of succession plan allows for, you know, a new generation with a new mindset to take over these businesses that, you know, maybe they have a lot of new avenues of growth but they're not being used or explored because you know, the founders are tired. So we, we want to, to explore that route of uh, you know, former uh, entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that, that funded uh, many years ago and they don't have a succession plan and we, we would love to take over. And then you know, through multiple acquisitions, we can even grow inorganically by just merging and, and growing companies with similar similarities in terms of target market, et cetera. That's great. And, and M&A works in different styles, but I, I love the idea of, of going after businesses that are mature, 
have great cash flow. You can look at them having a million, two million EBITDA um, and utilizing that as your investment strategy. You're gonna go in, you're gonna clean it up a little bit, make some changes, um, find some unrealized revenue, um, cut some costs, and then help them grow, merge some other companies in. And, and now you've got a, a bigger, larger entity and hopefully uh, there's some tech there or you merge tech into the business to help them uh, sort things out as well. Absolutely, I think the, the Canadian landscape allows for many opportunities to be to uh, to be presented to us uh, in both fronts, both the startup and both the mature uh, mature companies. We're trying to work strategically with a number of people to try to navigate that search, because in the end, it's going to be a key decision when we say, okay, you bet on this horse, you're committed and you have to make it work. Uh, maybe sometimes the horse is not as good as you thought. And, uh, and you have to still work and, and rely and, and believe in, in that horse. So we, we are trying to be very strategic in terms of what we look at uh, and at the same time, be very optimistic and, and show these, these entrepreneurs that we are not trying to take over, take their business from them, but actually to help them grow and continue their legacy. Uh, in the end, it's, it's their baby, right? And I think there's a lot of sentimental value to, to the founders uh, when they give it away, they think that they're just giving a child. And that's not the case. We, the way we operate as a family, we, we try to maintain, uh, you know, everything, the structure, the name uh, and, and the values and build on top of what is already being built. It's, uh, it's interesting because um, when you talk about the, the believe in the horse, um, I like that concept because at the end of the day, you're, you're, betting, on the, you're betting on the race or betting on the horse that's going to come in and finish. And one thing that just popped in my head was that um, when you're believing in that horse and you're hoping that that one's going to win, there's still unique ways to find out what that opportunity is that that horse is going to be able to win. And I think in horse racing, there was, um, you know, it was sought after by the size, the breed, the age, the weight, all of these things. And there was one factor that um, a trainer found, and you see this a lot now in other athletes in sports, is that they found that in certain horses, they had a different nose capacity. Uh, nor nose um, inside of it, it actually would funnel the oxygen in faster and, and more effective, that which allow the horse to actually um, breathe quicker, which would be able to take more air into its lungs. Yes. So this was a way for it to expand and ra win races. So it would always be seconds faster than the rest of the, of the horses. So in this believing in the horse mentality, it's always great to be able to believe in the horse, but there's always still ways that there's a unique value opportunity and position that you have to always look for in order to believe in that horse. You got to find out what's the mechanism that makes it work and can it still win at its age or its speed or whatever it might be. So exactly. I think that goes all the way through to anything you work with investment wise and whatnot is, is there something unique about that that's going to make them uh, be better than the rest? Absolutely. Uh, no one wants yeah. to spend and spin their wheels, right? Yes, absolutely. We look at the financials uh, as the, the, you know, the starting point. When you look at healthy financials uh, with good, good amount of money in the, in the bank, you can fix pretty much any problem, right? If the, if the margins are good, if the financial statements are, are healthy, I think you can do pretty much anything. If you find a completely financially distressed business, that's a different ballgame. Uh, and that's why we want to, to focus on, on the healthy ones that we can help grow and not just have to rescue and spend uh, tons of time and energy and resources, of course, uh, to turn them around. Now that's great. And how much have you found that in this 
shift as the family office has been growing and making investments, how much do you find that the financial back end that you guys have come from, that that experience really benefits your mandate for investments? Absolutely. I think it's, it's key. We do a lot of the due diligence uh, ourselves and we pay very close attention, as I mentioned, to, to the numbers, but also we pay a lot of attention to the people. Uh, we're, I always say, you know, we're a family office, but we're a family first and then we're a family office. So we try to connect with the people. The financial background really helps us. Uh, we're very strict when it comes to that, but just as we are strict with the financials, we're strict with the people. Uh, at Wharton, I learned this, this phrase in one of the presentations and I kept it and I use it all the time. Uh, we would rather bet on a B team with an A idea, sorry, with a, with a team with a B idea rather than, a, than on an A, oh my goodness, unbelievable. We would rather bet <laughs> I say it better in Spanish, of course. We would rather bet on an A team with a B idea rather than a B team with an A idea. Uh, we will take a team that maybe, you know, they don't have the best of ideas, but they have the best energy, the best approach. They're honest, open, yeah. transparent, and they're willing to pivot, you know, because a good team is going to be able to, to pivot. So we would rather bet on that A team with a B idea rather than, than finding a B team with the best of ideas because that B team might not perform uh, and that, that great idea, that A idea can go to waste. So, I love it. Yeah, yeah no, that's fantastic. Explain some things in, in English, but this one got me. No, man, that's good. Uh, I'm going to quote that. That's brilliant because at the end of the day, you're right. It, it comes down to the team and a team, once they're cohesive and understand things, they're going to fix it. And they're going to, you know, if they've got a B product, they're going to make an A product because they're an A team. Uh, if you have a, an A product and a B team, they might not solve problems as quick. They may not understand things. They might not take information in. And, and a team is, is highly impactful in, in the business. And you know what? It, it, I think a lot of people talk about it, but really at the end of the day, that is where a lot of these Silicon Valley investments and everybody else, the way they invest is they're investing in the people. And they want, that's why the valuations are so high. That's why there's so much dollars flowing in because they're stealing all the right people to make that business work. And they're using brain power as the driver. And if you don't have that, that's where you start to suffer. Absolutely. And a good founder has to be aware that the product, the way they see it today, they're going to have two or three major changes to the product or the service that they're offering. Uh, and, and a B team is not going to be able to detect that. Or if they do, they don't do it in time. Uh, I think uh, uh, also a founder that is humble enough to change uh, you know, their dream product, to make it fit, into the market, that's also a key element. So yeah, the, the team is just as important as the financials. And in, in that same context, how much do you see culture? How much does that really help? And is it, if you got an A culture, is that what's going to drive the, sorry, an A team is going to drive the A culture or how, how do you see that? I think, I think everything is, is very connected. I think a good CEO shouldn't be running the business all the time. I think a good CEO is also creating the culture of the business. Uh, and and that's that's very important to have everybody pointing in the same direction. Uh, there's gonna be disagreements. Sometimes everybody has to wear a different hat on a daily basis, you know. But but to stay focused and to continue to build a team uh, for success. Uh, many CEOs, you know, or founders, they try to keep information for themselves because you know what if they if, if I tell them everything and they leave, you know, yeah. What if you don't tell them everything and they stay? 
that's it's so if if they're uh, humble enough and and driven enough and they know that their business is going to work they're going to create a team uh, to succeed and it kind of gets it, it becomes a good thing for you to um, early on to and and love to get your thoughts on this to share information readily with your team and how much information do you think you should share because do they take ownership do they drive it better so what is that um, guard, if you will? What things are you putting up that say, you know what, this is only for uh, investors or is it open up everything? And, and at the Open People Network, we try to get that openness as much as we can. I think Absolutely. I looked at it and took all of the things that I was not so efficient at and said, look, I got to do the reverse of me. Let's build something that gets everybody else to do the opposite of how I would look at something and say that if, uh, if I'm not going to share a lot of information, but I got to get other people to do it because I know how impactful that is. And, you know, Absolutely. we push that. And I think that's that openness really does help build cohesiveness. And, and, and are you feeling and finding the same thing? Absolutely. I think when you're creating a team and especially when you're leading a team, there has to be that element of trust. I can't work with someone that I don't trust, especially in an early stage company where everything is new. We have to wear many hats on a daily basis. There's got to be that element of trust. And, and if you don't trust your, your employees, that in the end, they're not even your employees. They're your, your partners. They're there, right there, sweating with you, uh, rolling their sleeves up and getting their hands uh, dirty. Uh, you, you have to trust them. And I think sharing, I'm not saying, you know, make it super public, but if you're going to hire someone to be your CFO and you're, gonna, you're not going to share information with them, what's, what's the purpose? Just be the CFO yourself and, and share, share the information with yourself. Uh, if you're not open, I, I totally connect with what you say. There's, there has to be that, that openness uh, to make a business successful. I agreed. I like that. And because, uh, <clears throat> Juan, you're like the, the first family office that we've had the opportunity to uh, bring on our podcast today. Um, we've done lots of, a couple of VCs, but mostly it's just specifically angel investors. Um, can you share a little bit more about uh, how the world sees a family office versus a VC versus an angel. How do you guys feel you fit into this mix? Are you uh, kind of like, oh, you're a family office. You go over here and we'll talk to you maybe because you guys are too difficult. Or is it family offices? You guys are amazing. How do we work together? Like, how does that work? And how do you feel you're being added into the market? I think that the term, and it's, this is the first time I, I actually think about this. This is a really good question. I think the term family office per se, I think generates a certain level of respect uh, because, you know, it has the word family in it. And I think the family component, you know, it puts you in a, in a good place. Uh, maybe not, uh, not at the VC place because when you're venture capital, but I think it puts you in a good, in a good spot. Uh, the conversation with the family offices generally, uh, or my perception is that they, they think you're ready to deploy millions of dollars. That has been my impression. And that's not necessarily what, what we do. Uh, in the end, we as family office, we can co-invest, we can bring co-investors, but generally we invest our own resources and we want to be really smart about what we, the amounts that we invest and where we allocate uh, that capital. Uh, but yeah, my, my initial perception is, you know, oh, you're a family office, okay, come in, they put you in a, in a good spot, and then they ask you how many millions of dollars you are going to, uh, to write a check for. Uh, that, that has, it's also, uh, yeah, it's my, my first answer to, to a question that I've never answered before. Now, 
it depends on us where we put ourselves in the conversation and also to show what we do, what we like to do, what we don't like to do and where we fit. Uh, I think it also plays a big part and we are good communicators. We very quickly uh, create the right expectations about what we do and where we want to, to go with each conversation. So yeah, it's, we have to be responsible to make ourselves be placed in the, in the right spot uh, very quickly. It's very easy to generate false expectations and then, you know, people are disappointed and we don't want to, we don't want to create that. No, I like that. And, and you're right. There is this, um, a really nice value add that sits for, you know, venture capitalists and then the family offices. And I think the family offices really do fit almost, I would say almost equal with a VC. Um, they have the capital, but they have the resources and that family touch just makes it a bit different of an experience. But at the end of the day, I think there's very equal an opportunity with a VC or family office. And I think that there's probably like, maybe when it comes to family offices, people are thinking of like Thomson Reuters and uh, uh, Nike and all these big family offices that are, you know, billions of dollars and whatnot. But family offices are, are really just, they are expanding into so many different areas. Whereas a VC has a focus just on this bucket, Family offices have opportunities in banks. They have opportunities in uh, other countries. So the family office is actually more expandable. And I think it just brings more opportunities to an oper uh, to that startup or to that business sector that's looking for funding. I think that's a real big difference versus yeah. a VC that may not carry that global exposure or that opportunity to work with other family offices on making different types of investments. Yeah, and I think also a family office is perceived as uh, more friendly than a VC and a little bit less friendly than an angel. So somewhere in between. Yeah. Uh, but again, we, we are family people we're, we, and we're people's uh, uh, persons. So we, we tend to connect with the, with the founders uh, fairly quickly if their idea makes sense and if, they're, uh, you know, if they show uh, what they are all about. No, that's great. And what's one of the, I guess, outside of um, just putting in the capital, how do you guys find yourselves working with these companies? Are you providing, you mentioned obviously resourcing. Is the resourcing come in different factors? Are you guys offering uh, people on the team, people in the office and saying, hey, you know what? These guys can help you shift around some marketing. You guys got to talk to these guys. Are you helping them find ways to grow to make sure that these companies survive? How do you guys operate in, in and out of um, the companies you're working with? It really depends on the size of the investment. Uh, you know, for the, for the small investments on the angel side, we have no role. We're quiet investors and we get the quarterly reports. Uh, but there have been cases where we have large investments and we have appointed the CFO or we have appointed the, the chairman of the company, the chair of the board. Uh, so it really depends on the size of the investment. We've done everything from no involvement at all to almost full control. Uh, and, and that has given us the ability to learn uh, all the, like how to navigate uh, these various, these various uh, scenarios. So yeah, we, we are very open, but it, it generally depends on the, on the check size. Uh, we always like to offer our expertise. Uh, we are very well connected in internationally, for example, and we offer that network. Uh, if necessary, we offer our expertise in terms of, you know, the commercial approach, or there are some things that we, we believe uh, that we can, we can add value with. Uh, and we always put that on the table. Now, our founder is gonna take it, not necessarily, but it's always going to be there available 
even if it's a $50,000 investment or a million dollar investment, I think we always like to communicate and tell them, listen, whenever you're in Colombia, give us a call or whenever you need anything where we think we can help, feel free to, to, to give me a call. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, well my, I'm a big fan of Colombia. Um, I have traveled through half of it and I need to go back and travel through the other half uh, when this pandemic is over and allows me to be more flexible on uh, going through there. But big fan, uh, enjoyed it a lot. I have uh, lots of friends that are that have in Canada that are from Colombia as well. And, and uh, what I liked about kind of what you shared is that you have an opportunity to help them in that environment. So uh, in, there's other groups in Canada that we're bringing in startups from uh, other countries into Canada, then there's other ones that are pushing them into China. So are you guys, do you bring, also being a family office, do you bring that element of opening up, if say it's a product that you guys can help set up sales channel channels, manufacturing channels, like is there opportunities for your investments or even outside your company to help with those types of things? So we, just this year, we started uh, collaborating with one of the incubators, it's called Spark Niagara. Uh, they are an accelerator program uh, based out of Niagara Falls, and they give access to founders from different countries to access the startup visa program. So we started on this sort of diplomatic mission. We, we were in a conference with the trade, uh, trade office of Colombia. So this is a national agency. They have an office in Toronto. And we started just this year, a couple months ago, promoting Canada as a destination. We're not even promoting Ontario or Niagara Falls or Toronto. We're promoting Canada. For the first year in 2017, for the first year ever, Canada was the biggest foreign investor in Colombia. And uh, through energy, oil and gas projects, uh, and a lot of cannabis projects happening in Colombia, the diplomatic and commercial relations between Colombia and Canada, I think they haven't been in a better place than they are today. So we sort of took that little flag and started waving it. And you wouldn't believe the amount of interest that we got from Colombian startups to move to Canada. Canada has a very healthy platform to help innovation and entrepreneurship to be built here, regardless of where you're from. And uh, we plan to continue to, to share that message with our Colombian uh, ecosystem so we can have more and more opportunities. In the end, we're all about the deal flow, just like you are. Uh, so the more opportunities we get to see, the more chances we get to see the real good ones that are going to give us a good return in the future. So the short answer is yes, we're uh, strongly participating and promoting uh, those startups to use the, the, the programs to come and start being international in Canada. And the, the second thing, just, just to finalize that thought, Canada is the perfect lab when you want to jump into the American market. It's a mature market with a, a lot of appetite for new technologies and for new companies, but small enough in population that will allow you to pivot and make the changes on the product or service very quickly without failing in the market. So it's the perfect, uh, if you can call it trampoline uh, to, to continue to build and finalize your product and then jump into the big pool, which is the US, Europe, and everywhere in the world. Oh, that's a great analogy. And you're right. We're kind of like the cooking pot, I guess, to help you come in, figure it all out, and then start land and expand, if you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. With, with the added value that Canada you know, has so many friendly immigration programs, 
and visas and all kinds of things that help people immigrate relatively well, that's great. Yeah, the only thing I remember is that uh, when I was in Colombia, I think it was two years ago or three years ago, uh, they had uh, um, to go into Colombia. The Canadians had to pay, uh, uh, I don't know, 100 bucks or something like that for the visa. Not anymore. Not anymore. So our former, our former ambassador to Colombia, Federico Ojos, very nice guy. I got to meet him personally. He got rid of that fee and he was like a reciprocal fee, whatever Canadians charge uh, to Colombians for a visa, you have to pay uh, right at the airport before you can enter the country. That has been eliminated completely. So oh, incentive to continue to travel to Colombia, yes. Ah, good, that's good. Yeah, it, it makes a big difference, right? I think at the time I, I was coming from uh, Panama and uh, I was, out by sandblast, I was going to take a boat in backpacking, and I ended up uh, uh, taking a small uh, army base plane into Colombia because they didn't have any other way for me to get across. And wow. uh, so I did that. It was actually pretty cool. Uh, and then, um, yeah, I remember sitting at the border, and they're like, "This is a hundred dollars." I'm like, "What? What for?" Yeah. I'm like, yeah. "I thought we love Colombians. Canadians are friendly. What the hell?" And they were like, "Well, you know, it's not us. It's uh, this thing." And we had a great chat. It was quite funny. And then yeah. uh, we, I made my way through, but um, that's awesome. I'm glad they got rid of that. Because any barrier. That from time you go to Colombia, we can go together and we can explore different parts that you haven't seen. It's a beautiful country, oh, full I love of challenges, it. but uh, have we have improved a lot as a country. And I think you know it's not what they show in Netflix and, and whatever. It's it's a different uh, reality what you live when you go there, especially because of the people. People yeah. in Colombia are really amazing. That's why we get along so well with Canadians because Canadians are just as nice. So we, yeah. we have a lot of things in common. No, for sure. I was a big fan climbing through the mountains. I was in uh, doing some uh, uh, deep sea or not deep sea, but um, cave diving, cave climbing. Oh, there's so much ecosystems there that are amazing. Natural ecosystems. Uh, big fan. I huge thumbs up everywhere. Columbia rocks. And I can't wait to do their other part and we will have to meet up and do that. Cause I think that would be pretty cool. So absolutely. Lots yeah. to see there and uh, a lot of amazing people too. Very helpful. Even, even when uh, I, my Spanish is half in half out, I'm terrible at speaking, but I understand a lot of it. People yeah. would go the extra length just to help me out just so that uh, I got where I needed to be. So no, in fact, they'll help you even more than, than you need. Uh, they will yeah. do everything in their power to make you feel welcome uh, because we Colombians, we struggled with, with the stigma for many, many years. And when people really take the time and, and you know, the courage to come to our country and they find out that it's not what they thought it was, mm -hmm. for us, it, we even have to show them even more, you know, convince them that they not only made a good decision by coming, but they should stay and, and plan vacations in the future. So, yeah, Colombian people are absolutely uh, amazing for that. And, yeah, we, a country with with lots of challenges, but also lots of beautiful things to see. Agreed. Every country has its challenges, right? That's what makes us all great. If everything yeah. was easy, we'd be bored, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's been great, Juan. I think you took us through a great little uh, piece of what a family office is really about and how you guys operate. And uh, I really enjoyed that flow, and I got some great quotes from you. And I think that uh, uh, there's a lot of great components that you guys are bringing into the ecosystem. I love that you're bringing in and you're pushing Columbia to come in here as well. I think there's some great synergies. Uh, we actually had at our last Skip the Line event, we did have a, a company that, um, Canadian, but came in on visa uh, program and they were awesome. So love it. I think there's a lot of uh, big opportunities there. 
Um, so now I think uh, just based on timing, I think you and I could talk for hours or maybe days on all of this, which is very yeah. exciting. Um, we're going to jump into the rapid fire questions and then we got a couple of other kind of uh, questions that we'll ask, but we'll jump right into that if that's cool. Excellent. All right. Uh, what's your favorite part of investing? Finding new technologies, new trends, cool stuff that I didn't even know existed. I like that. I can get behind that for sure. Uh, how many companies do you invest in per year? We try to do eight to 10, so once a month. Perfect. Uh, you mentioned some verticals, but is there anything outside of like the two that you mentioned, health tech and fintech, anything else that you'd be willing to explore? Everything data, I think uh, consumer insights, everything regarding uh, the marketplace, uh, whatever it is, uh, online shopping, everything in those spaces we like. Okay. Uh, any due diligence requirements that you look for? Have the financials ready. Uh, don't talk about the global market. Talk about the market you're going to achieve. Sometimes they, uh, the founders say, you know, we are attacking a market of $17,000 trillion. And that's not the case. Be realistic with the expectations, especially about the total addressable market. Okay. Uh, what's your timeline for investment? Like from the first meeting to the last meeting? We tend to move relatively quicker because we do a lot of the work ourselves. I'm going to say less than a month. Okay. Uh, outside of DD, you mentioned you're all about the team. Is there anything else that you really focus in on when you're looking at companies to make an investment? The idea has to be interesting for us. Uh, you know, we have to find that spark. There's got to be something that we find uh, interesting about the idea. Is this a product that I will use myself or that I will uh, have my kids use or something like that? has to be interesting at a personal level. Okay. Uh, do you guys like to lead rounds? We have led rounds in the past. It's not the easiest job. It's like herding... Uh, uh, bunnies or whatever, but uh, we, we've done it. We prefer to take the back seat, uh, but with an active role. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you, man. It's hurting cats and bunnies, everybody. It takes forever. Too much. Uh, do you prefer, is there any preferred terms that you have? Do you like pref shares? Uh, I think the equity, the, every investor likes the equity play, but I've come to terms with the idea that an equity play does not guarantee that the business is going to be successful. Uh, we've done saves, we've, we've done uh, convertible notes and we've done equity. Uh, and you know, in the end, if we get an exit, we get an exit through any of those vehicles. What we like is a safe with a cap, for example. We don't like those open saves with uh, very open terms. Yep. Uh, but for the rest, we've, we've done pretty much everything. I second that motion, agreed. Uh, do you take board seats? Yes. Uh, depending on the size of the check, yes. Okay. Uh, and follow-up investments? Yes, we, we've done it. Uh, but at the same time, we've decided just recently that, you know, doing those follow-up uh, investments will stop us from investing in, in new ideas and new opportunities, and they will stop us from diversifying. So if we're going to be successful, we're already on that train, and we're going to fail well, we already lost. We, let's not lose anymore. anymore. Okay, I like that. Uh, you mentioned what you do outside of uh, finances, so you do other things to kind of help those companies. Can you highlight a few things other than just the, fu the funds? I think networking uh, and, and whatever added value that we can bring based on our experience uh, in banking, uh, relations with banks. Uh, yeah, there's a number of things that we can support with. 
Perfect. Okay, so we have uh, a couple, two more questions. Uh, the big question is, in the time that you guys have been working with early stage companies, investing, um, I'm always looking for a great, fun, crazy, open-ended story of something that you went through with a startup. And it could be anything from you invested in this company, the CEO, she was awesome, but you know they hit some turbulent waters, they started to fall apart, and they were able to save it, and now they're running a Series A. Is there any kind of heartfelt story that you can share that's just kind of gets everybody really into what's going on in this world of early stage investing? I'll, I'll tell you a short one and a longer one, uh, but it will be quick. Uh, a company prior to COVID, they didn't have money to make payroll and COVID saved them. Uh, and that was a really cool story because, you know, co-investors, we were all like, okay, this, this is going to die uh, eventually. And, and COVID actually saved this company and they, the founder was really smart uh, on how to pivot and use COVID to their advantage. So that's one. And the second one was our very, our biggest investment uh, that we've done so far in the VC side almost fell apart like 17 times. And thanks to a really good middleman uh, broker that, you know, introduced us to the company, introduced them to us, uh, the deal uh, actually happened. But it was because I said, you know what, this conversation is done and the middleman will not say that to the counterpart. Uh, so we broke up many, many times, but we never knew we broke up. And that was really cool to find out later on what we actually, you know, fired the check and everything was done and done. Uh, the middleman uh, opened up and said, you wouldn't believe how many times I had to stop them from getting out of the table or getting up from the table or you guys to get up from the table. You guys were ready to break up so many times. And it's been a very successful relation. So we're happy to find people that are willing to do all that work in between for a small fee. It's a lot of tension, a lot of uh, strong conversations. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a cool story. And we expect that, that company to give us a very good return in the future. Oh, that's amazing. See, those are the stories that I like. They're excited. Yeah. They keep you on your seat. Well, uh, one day I'll tell you with more detail, but what I, what I just told you is exactly how it was. It was three or four weeks of this person just with a burning cell phone in their ear, listening to one person scream and then call the other person and listen to the same one and just remain calm and said, no, they're waiting for your response. No, they're doing this. No, everything is okay. So we're yeah. moving forward with the deal. Oh, good. That's awesome. Very exciting. Is there any notable companies that uh, you want to share? I brought up now, I guess, that uh, you want to share, talk about that um, you really like or you're excited about? We're really excited about this Australian company. We ended up investing all the way in Australia. They're called Elanation. And Elanation has created an app that allows kids, especially now with COVID, to remain active through professional athletes, teaching them uh, skills in various sports. I think it's over 30 sports while they're wearing a wearable that is also sold by this, by this company. So they've been very, very successful. Uh, they are in fact currently fundraising again. We participated in an early round with them. Uh, very cool company with already a lot of interest from the Silicon Valley. So if you have the time, go check out their Elanation website. I will. Uh, it's a very cool company with a really good mission, great founders. Uh, it's two, two Australian women, very, very cool product. So it's, it's great. I, I would love to highlight uh, that company, definitely. Okay, done. 
some reason I remember seeing something or hearing something, but there's been a cool co- bunch of companies I've seen come out of uh, Australia. So that's pretty yeah. cool. Again, another excellent lab to test out a product, small in population, but good mature market with appetite for technologies. I love it. Okay. So the next one, we're kind of shifting into this more personal side of things so that people can uh, connect more. Um, and you shared a little bit about uh, something that people wouldn't know about yourself and lots of stuff, like you said, open-ended. So uh, the first question is, what is your favorite sports team? Soccer is my sport and Real Madrid is my team for life. And my son is even crazier about soccer and even crazier about Real Madrid. Really? Hmm. Yes. Well, they are a pretty good team. Please don't tell me that you're a Barcelona fan because then we have to delete the whole recording. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is kind of funny, but uh, I am more of a Barcelona fan than I am a Real Madrid fan. But uh, it's not because uh, I don't like Real Madrid. Um, I like a good match and I like it to be not even, but even enough where you've got some uh, two great teams battling it out. And at the point of watching it, I don't care who wins it the mo- at anymore after watching it. I just want to see an amazing soccer match. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, my, my favorite team, if you will, on the English premiere is um, uh, I'm an Arsenal fan. So, okay. uh, and I've, I've actually been, when I travel and I've been all over the world, um, I will always try and find a soccer match. So I, I've watched the uh, division, like, I don't even know, D, uh, but I've watched soccer matches in Israel, yeah. uh, to Chile, to yeah. uh, everywhere. Anywhere I go, I try to watch a match. So um, I tried to watch one. I guess the most fascinating one was I tried to watch a match, uh, and it only now makes complete context for this story is that when I was in Egypt um, I went to watch a match and uh, now the names are going to totally elude me I don't remember their jerseys and everything but uh, the names just because they're not um, uh, as popular if you will Uh, but I did watch matches all the way through up to get to there but in Egypt uh, in Cairo uh, their league professional league uh, is it's had some problems in the past so the top two teams were playing and I kept asking people, how do I see this game? I want to go watch the match, et cetera. And people are telling me, you're not allowed to see this match. You can't go. And I was like, well, why can't I? It's a soccer match. They're like, no. And I had seen before uh, through other showings where I watched it and there was never fans in the stands. And I never understood. I just thought, oh, maybe people didn't care or they didn't want to be there or those tickets were too expensive. Yeah. So I uh, pursued this and pursued it. Finally, I decided just to go. I show up at the game. And uh, there's armed security all the way around the entire perimeter of the sports match. So I go up and I talk to somebody and I said, hey, can I come to this game? And they pull out this list. What's your name? You're not on here. Another guy comes up and I'm like, no, no, I am. I'm right there. They're like, oh, okay. And the other guy's like, all right, man, we can't let you in. You're not allowed to have anybody in the game. So I said, well, why not? I'm a foreigner. Why do you want to watch a game? I'm like, well, because it's soccer, man. It's awesome. I travel all the way here. I want to see them play. So eventually we decide we can't get me in. Then I try and find another uh, another person on a horse. They try to get me in, but they still can't. So I end up walking back, uh, watching the game on TV. It was televised. And uh, what I found out after was that uh, because of what happened six years ago, they blocked uh, anybody from going to the matches because – someone tried to bomb one of the games or there was an explosion and they decided they just wouldn't let anybody else in. 
So yeah. since then, they've never let anybody in, which is exactly how COVID has now played out across the world in all countries. Yeah. Uh, but that was the last, yeah, so that was the last time I tried to get into a soccer match, which happened to be in January, and just as COVID was hitting. And now ever since then, these guys have been doing the right thing. No one else is going to see a game, and it's been structured yeah. the same way. Yeah. Absolutely. You should go and, and check out a uh, game in Colombia. In Colombia and in South America, soccer is life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's fun to watch. I, I tend to like the European soccer a little bit more than the South American one. It's more competitive and a little bit tougher. I like the English Premier League a lot. Yeah. Uh, and we were able to go and, and uh, have my son, uh, you know, make his dream come true to go to Santiago Bernabeu back in May of last, last year and watch a game and watch them win. And it was very cool. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah, big fan, big fan. I, I didn't, I couldn't get into a game when I was in Colombia. They didn't have any playing when I was during the cities I was in. Yeah. Uh, one I missed by a day, which really sucked. So, but either way, big fan. So big fan, kudos to that. Um, all right, your favorite movie and what character would represent you? Oh my goodness, my favorite movie. I, I, I love Catch Me If You Can. Yep. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, but I'm not the thief. So I might be the, the cop chasing and being resilient until he, he, he caught the guy. But yeah, I, I remember that movie and I, and I love it. Oh, that's awesome. That's a good choice. I like that. I got to write that down. Maybe this is a whole, every time I ask this question, maybe I'm, uh, I'm just trying to find what people like so that I can go watch those movies. I'm just looking for yeah. a better way of indexing. It's a, it's a good movie. It's old, but I like it. It's, it's always stayed with me. Uh, it's good. No, I've seen it, but a long time ago. And yeah. Caprio's pretty good. So, well, I thank you very much for that one. Uh, fantastic. Uh, the conversation went in a few directions, but I think at the end, uh, family offices are really cool. I'm glad that I got to dive in and especially with you to learn a little bit more about it and share that with our audience. Um, and uh, I think the way we like to end off uh, all of our talks is that we want to give you the last word. So if you can share uh, any feedback, any thoughts around which uh, to startups or to investors, any recommendations, any information, and then how people can get a hold of you. Absolutely. Uh, I want to thank you again for the invitation, Jeff. And I think the last word is, is an important one. We as the private sector, uh, we have a big responsibility uh, based on the situation that we're going through. And the future looks very dark for a lot of people. And I think our responsibility is not only to make money for ourselves, for our investors, and, and, and you know, to, to go and spend it, but we also have a, a social responsibility to help others. And we as the private sector should you know, get together and be responsible and help out these businesses that are going to be struggling in the future. Uh, Canada has that particularly. Uh, you know, we come together as a country and, and, and you like to help. So yeah, I, I want to close uh, this, this talk with, with that message. And if you want to learn more about Trinity Capital, you can go on our website. It's www.trinitytci.ca. Trinitytci.ca. I love it. Well, Juan, again, as I've said many times, you're awesome. Thank you very much. I took lots of notes. I'm old awesome. school, but uh, big fan. Thank you very much for sharing everything. And uh, we'll keep you posted when we're ready to launch. And uh, thank you again. Thank you, Jeff. Okay, that was awesome. Our first family office. Uh, can't go wrong. I thought there was a lot of great insights, lots of great information that was in there. Um, I love the idea that he's doing some M&A work and maybe going into success planning and figuring out if that's going to work. A lot of stuff from Colombia coming into Canada. 
man, these guys are workhorses, great family office. Um, you know, they're, uh, they're big fans of the early stage companies. And I think that that really showed and uh, how to start and how to dive in a lot about the teamwork, you know, having a great team, uh, an A team with a B product. That's all they can ask for because they know that team is going to turn that product into an A product. So I think that was kind of the biggest thing that I took out of that. Um, and of course, it was great to, to learn more about Juan and, and the family office. So uh, thanks for listening and uh, lots more great uh, people to come.